Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Brought to you by Vodacom Business. Turn your dreams into growing business. Search Vodacom Business SME Warren Ingram. Before we get into our agenda this evening, and if you want to add something to Warren and my agenda, we would love you to do so. Uh, send us an SMS, send us a WhatsApp, get hold of us, tweet us, do whatever it takes to get hold of us and put it on our agenda and let's see what we can do to help because Jenny Fulford sent me uh, an email. Um, It's a heartfelt email and it's an email that is tough to read because she is in a space where I think she's in a lot of pain. She feels like she's been let down quite badly. I want to just read it to you very briefly if I can. And uh, Jenny writes, my late husband was in pension fund management until the time of his stroke, aged 59. He was 40 years in the business and at the time his company had recently been sold to Alexander Forbes where he was managing his clients on a consultancy basis. Unfortunately, this left him with no medical cover or pension fund as the paperwork was not completed. A visit to Alexander Forbes in Santon a year later to pursue his career led to an epileptic seizure epileptic seizure in the managing director's office. Later on, he was given a restraint of trade agreement, which he signed, and we struggled through 21 years, and he passed on nearly four years ago. Am I wrong to think that there might just be a surplus in the pension fund that could make my old age easier? It's quite a difficult one, that, Warren. Jeez, it's a, as you say, it's a terrible, tough story, that. But I'm, I'm glad she had a second chance with him, you know, I guess, you know, in, if you look at that way. Uh, I think it's a, so. The starting point is what, what is a, what is the surplus all about? And, and generally, just to understand that uh, a surplus in, um, in a retirement fund doesn't happen automatically. It's not as if every retirement fund out there has generated surpluses uh, over time and and hasn't been paid out to to members. So. Typically, what happens is it, it's, it's generally something that, that occurs with older re- retirement funds. Uh, you know, where, for example, you know, members leave uh, through a year or you know during a year, and, and not all of the the contributions that they made were then paid back to the member because you know it, sometimes the, the accounts only got you know, tallied up at the end of a year, uh, and and so you know there'll be a bit of complexity around that, or certain investments couldn't have been sold at, at a particular time, and and you know members got sort of lost. In the, in the mix, um, and and certainly not something that happens uh, nowadays with the more modern uh, provident funds and the like, where, where you know the, the the tracking of these things is much more accurate and much more real time. You know, we, we're going back to the kind of you know almost abacus kind of days of paper based calculations and the like. So so for people who are you know in in retirement funds now, uh, you know maybe the last five or eight years, it's very unlikely that you've got a, a, a surplus. But for people who were members of a retirement fund a long time ago, it's it's possible, but but it's still rare. Uh, and so I, I mean you know of course we we don't have a clue what uh, what Jenny's husband's uh, pension fund was that he had himself, you know his own one, because that's most likely where where a surplus could have been. Uh, generated, mm. uh, so so, and as you can gather, I'm I'm kind of uh, no, no. But how does she find out? I mean, I'm not expecting you to say. Okay. Well, you see, Jenny, what so, you do is you film fill in form one or two B, and you get a million rand. We're not saying that for a moment, so, but where can Jenny find out whether or not there yeah. is some money for her? Here we go. So the the, the regulator for financial services is the FSCA. Uh, and actually, they've got on their website, I think the easiest thing to do, because of course, it's a government website, which means it's not the most user-friendly thing you're ever going to find. But but I would suggest that you Google 
uh, FSCA and uh, retirement fund verifications. So, so FSCA and retirement fund verifications, because on their website, uh, they've actually got a section uh, where you can uh, put in what they call unclaimed retirement fund benefits search. So, so there is actually a whole section for that. You put in your details there, it goes into the FSCA's website of retirement funds. They look for your, you know, either your ID if you are the member or the person who, who you are, you know, claiming on behalf of. So in Pippa's case, her, her husband's uh, ID number. And th there is a search then of, of, of retirement funds to see if you're, if you're due uh, an, an unclaimed benefit. Okay, so, there we go. So that's my suggestion. Thank you. Go to the FSCA, <laughs> Jenny, the Financial Sector Conduct Authority. They're really good. Um, you know, friends of mine who've dealt with the FSCA have had certainly very, very helpful um, interactions, I think, with the FSCA. Now, listen, um, on to other stories that affect lots and lots of different people or could affect lots of people. Changes to the rules around retirement funds, particularly when it comes to emigration. What happens to retirement funds in the event of emigration, because the rules have just changed. You're right. They're about to, so. So one March they will they will kick in, and essentially it's caused quite a lot of consternation again because you know the, the fake news generators were out there saying you know this is another attempt by government to nationalise our retirement funds. You know it's tying into prescribed assets, which is complete hogwash. So so what government's trying to do is is to actually just clarify. Uh, exactly when when you are financially immigrated, firstly, and secondly, how are your retirement funds are treated? What what they're now going to do is they're going to say that if you if you do financially immigrate, and that's a proper process that you have to go through, it's quite a legal technical thing. But once you've done that, you need to prove that you've been a non-resident from South Africa, and that's that's a tax consideration. So that you know that's not just you know you moved out the country. That means that you've, you you're no longer a tax resident as well. Um, for a period of three years, once you've done that, you are able to access your retirement funds. So, so that at the moment, it's it's quite a kind of wishy-washy set of rules about when can you access your retirement fund? You know, is it on the day you physically leave the country? Is it on the day your paperwork's done? This now clarifies it. You have to financially immigrate, then you have to be a non-tax resident for three years, and then you're entitled to access your retirement fund money. So, so for a lot of people, you know, who, who potentially were planning to to financially immigrate in the next you know year or two, and were planning to to for example go uh, you know access the money in their provident fund to live off for for the first year or two of their of their new life wherever they're going to be, it could be a big issue for them. Those are the people I think that are going to be affected. Uh, you know, if you if you were already financially immigrated, uh, th this might clarify things for you because you might already have been out of the country for for a period of time for for the three years, in which case, you know, th this actually makes your life easier. So, so I think the main point here is just um, don't, don't kind of don't fall subject to the hype again. Make, make sure that you know what you're doing. If you are in the process of, of financially immigrating in a, in a, or you want to in the next couple of years, just know that for the first three years of your of your time ac across wherever you're going to be, you're not going to be able to access the money that you've got in your RA, your provident fund or your preservation funds. You're going to need to make other financial plans for that time. Thereafter, sure, you can you can access the money. Now, you're going to have people shouting at the radio now, okay? but it's my money. I can decide exactly what happens to it. Why is this measure being taken? This sort of three-year, I don't know, cooling off period or three-year settling in period, whatever it is. 
I, I think it's because it's so messy at the moment as to, you know, people that have left the country, but actually all they've done is physically moved to another place. They haven't actually told SARS or the Reserve Bank that they're, you know, they're not coming back or that they, you know, you know that they're actually no longer going to be taxpayers. And, and so, you know, there are other people, for example, who, you know, who've, who've changed their, their domicile. In other words, they're physically living somewhere else, but they're happy to pay a bit of tax in South Africa on, on some other income they've got here. But actually, they're, they're, you know, for certain purposes, a tax resident in another country as well. And, and so the, we, at the moment, it's as clear as mud, in, in all honesty, the, the rules around how, how people are treated with, uh, with respect to their tax and then access to their retirement funds. So in my view, I, I think this is a way to clarify things and to make it a bit simpler so that everyone knows how, how they're going to be treated in the future. And it's, and it's reasonably clear. I don't think it's the best way they could have done it. I, I certainly think, uh, you know, they could have made li- life a lot simpler than they have. But, but I think there isn't malice or, or some kind of sinister deal behind this. And I think also remember when you make a contribution to a retirement fund, you got big tax breaks on the money that you contributed. You, know, you, you, you didn't pay a lot of tax or any, in fact, any tax on the money that you contributed. And SARS allowed you big tax deductions because of these contributions. So, so there, is, there has to be a bit of quid pro quo in this. You, know, you can't just get tax breaks on the one side and then say, well, you know, then, then there should be no rules on the other side. Of course, they're going to be rules. You know, we, we live in a country that loves to tax us, and if they're going to give you a tax break, it's going to come with with, with the strings. And in this case, they're adding some new strings. Okay, but is is this simply to tidy up South Africa's balance sheet, if you like, just to know who is and who isn't present anymore? I mean, is it is does is that what this achieves? I think it's it's an attempt to to do that, and also I think you know between the Reserve Bank and SARS, we, we've the whole country's been pretty slack in terms of understanding the impact of on everybody of of people leaving the country, and unfortunately, you know we've we've had a lot of taxpayers. And a lot of savers and a lot of people have got money in retirement funds leaving, you know, over the last, you know, two or three decades. I mean, forget about just the last year or two. Uh, and so we, you know, we've we've ended up in a mess where they've kind of got these ad hoc laws, you know, that have been put in place and ad hoc regulations. And so what it's really done is made everyone really confused. But it's it's done wonders for tax lawyers and tax advisors. They've made an incredible amount of money out of this. <laughs> uh, and and I think that this is um, an, an attempt to start to simplify the process. But but in reality, uh, you know, this whole financial immigration saga is is ongoing. And I think it's it's really not clear. You know, I don't I don't really understand why it's been made so complex. Uh, and, and I feel it's probably regulators trying to catch up. And and what they've done is they've, they've, they've caught up a little bit to how reality works today. But unfortunately, you know, there are going to be some unintended consequences. I think they're going to force certain people who would probably not have immigrated financially to, to financially immigrate now. Uh, and, and others, you know, possibly have cashed in retirement funds in anticipation of something like this completely needlessly, you know, where, where they were you know, in absolute terror that their money was going to be taken and they'd never be able to access or access it or something. So I think, uh, you know, again, bad communication, bad handling of, of, of a situation. And then, you know, the tax advisors and the fearmonger sellers, you know, doing their best to really confuse the issue and really get the panic going so that they can benefit. Sadly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and, and so what again? If, is is there anything that we should be doing um, in the in the face of changes like this? Whether you intend emigrating or not, I mean, who knows what the future holds? You may get a great job offer, you may inherit a distant uncle's estate that you never heard of, or whatever the case might be. 
I think if you are going to financially immigrate or it's on the cards, just understand that that means, you know, just plan that you are going to be have to fund yourself for the first three years of your of your time uh, uh, wherever you go uh, with with money that's not your retirement funds. That's really the, the the actual basis of this whole thing. You know, so if you're going to get a great offer and you're going to move across and and work somewhere else, well, you've got a salary. You are going to be able to fund yourself. But maybe what it means is you can't cash in your provident fund to put down a deposit on a you know. Uh, five million rand, uh, you know, uh, shoebox in London because that's no longer <laughs> affordable for you. So, yeah. so it's going to be a case of saying just plan your finances differently when you go. So cash flow is going to to, to land in yeah. your account differently. Uh, if you're already retired, and you know, th- then this is not going to impact you because it, th- these are these are retirement annuities. You can you know you can do different things with your living annuity, as an example. Uh, so, so it's about managing the money that's coming in and what you expect to to spend in the in the you know two, three year period. As you as you leave the country, and I suppose what it also does is it does protect you perhaps from yourself if you were considering a, a move offshore and you were going to be dependent on this money because actually you haven't thought about it hard enough and you hadn't planned in, in, enough in advance. That actually, if you're going to dig into retirement savings to relocate, you are going to set yourself back two or three years, maybe more, um, depending how long you've been saving into your retirement fund. Um, and, and this kind of maybe forces you to really think very carefully about what your real options are. And, and I can't tell you uh, the number of times I've had conversations with people who, who are back in South Africa. And, you know, they'd say, well, you, you know, we, we, we were going to wherever it is. I, I mean, I, I love to bash Australia. We were going to Australia. <laughs> we got there. We had it was horrible. The place. Yeah, Full and, of Australians. Know, and, and, Six months later, we were back in South Africa, and our shipping container with all our stuff had just arrived in Australia. You know, I've heard stories like that: Pe- people yeah. ending up in the UK and saying, "You know, I didn't realise it rained every single day of of summer, and you know, or Ireland, or whatever the place the, 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 the place may be." And so, you know, for for the people in that situation, they're, they're at least coming back to to South Africa, and their retirement okay. funds are intact, and, and this is not going to impact them. Got you, got you, got you. Thank you, Warren. Um, we, we've got a, a, another email because we've got lots of emails and we have to get through all of them. Um, but I need to give you the heads up. Um, so this one is from Andre and it says, I'm currently investing monthly by debit orders and managing my own investments. How do I know if I should use an ETF or a unit trust? This one's right up your alley. In a moment, Andre, your question will be answered. How should Andre know whether he should use ETFs or unit trusts? In a moment. The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. So, Andre may have read Warren's first book, Become Your Own Personal Financial Advisor. And then he may have read Make Your First Million. And then he made his first million and he started investing. Uh, and he's investing via debit orders and he's managing his own investments. But should he use ETFs or unit trusts? Hospital Pass, Warren Ingram. Yeah, I must say I like the question. Uh, thanks, Andre. Uh, I, I think it's about ease of use. If I to if I had to decide, you know, what what would make me choose one or the other? First, th- first thing will be the ease of use. How, you know, if I'm running debit orders, uh, you know, I want I want things to kind of happen seamlessly because I'd like to carry on doing my day to day working life or spending time with family, whatever it is. So, so ease of use is important. The second one is the costs you know i mean as as you as you point out bruce i don't like to pay for for things if i don't have anything actually yeah i know this (laughs) <laughs> so if I'm going to pay, uh, I'm going to, I want to get value. And, and so the, the cost of my investments needs to be as low as possible. Uh, so, so that's going to be a, a big factor. 
and then lastly, just to, to make sure that I can manage everything in a, in a simple way. Can I understand exactly what I own, you know, looking through, you know, the different names of the, 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 the ETFs or the unit trust, actually how much do I own in cash, how much do I own in property and bonds, et cetera, et cetera. What's my overall asset mix? So, so those are the three big factors that I, that I would look at when I make this decision. And so ease of use, I, I think, you know, a lot of the time, you know, if you've, let, let's just say you've got two unit trusts, you know, you've got one, which is a, a South African, you know, diversified fund, and you've got a, an international diversified fund, and you've got a debit order coming off your, your account, and it goes into each of those two. And and all you do is you look at your statements on a, on a monthly basis. The, the likelihood is that, that ease of use might might favor the, the unit trust route. Whereas if you've got an ETF, you know, you can do a transfer from your, your bank to your ETF provider, and you know some of some of them are really good in terms of the, you know the ETF providers. They they offer great sort of apps that you can look at your your accounts regularly and, and manage everything quite easily. But the the point is still that you're going to need to make individual transactions. So you're going to need to say, well, I'm going to buy this uh, you know share based ETF. I'm going to buy this bond based ETF. This property one. I'm going to put them together in my portfolio. Then I'm going to buy the international ones and and maybe the two or three of those that I need to buy to get the right mix. So a little bit more complicated, but you know that that's generally going to be the issue, and and also that you might have some transaction costs when you buy those ETFs. So so every time you buy or sell an ETF, there's going to be a, a purchasing cost or a cost or a sales cost. So so the the prices look a bit different. The unit trust, you're not going to have that. You're just going to pay, uh, you know, pay the, the the management fee of the unit trust, and that's the trick in this whole thing is. Uh, how expensive is the unit trust that you're going to buy versus those other costs that you would incur when you pay for the ETFs? And there are some very low cost unit trusts. So, so probably, you know, three years ago, I would have said, this is a no-brainer. Go the ETF route. You know, the unit trust industry is just far too expensive. They, they, they've lost the plot. I think they've woken up. Well, I know they've woken up. Uh, and there are some very good low-cost ones nowadays, and you're not going to pay those transaction fees. So I, I know I'm sitting on the fence a bit, uh, Andre, with, with this answer, but I think the deal is if your unit trust costs you less than 0.5% a year, uh, and, and you can see that on, on these things called the fact sheets of the unit trusts, uh, you can see what the total charges are. And, okay. and if it's a total investment charge of 0.5% a year or less, I think the unit trusts are a good route. Uh, if it's more, uh, th then consider the ETFs and put the portfolio together. But that's going to take you a bit of work uh, on your part, you know, every month just to manage the, the, the mix of those ETFs. And then finally, I'd like to know from you, please, because it's not been a, a concern for a long time because very few people have been making any money at all. But suddenly, as stock markets start going up and property prices start moving, capital gains tax may become an issue at some point in the future. So in 90 seconds, what is it? Capital gains tax is incurred when you buy um, you buy an asset and then one day you decide to sell that asset at a at a profit. If you make a profit, you are you are liable to pay tax on the growth that you've generated. So, if you bought uh, an exchange traded fund. Uh, and you spent 10,000 Rand and you've now sold it for 60,000 Rand, that means you've made 50,000 Rand's worth of profit. You are liable for profit on uh, the, the 50,000 Rand's profit. You, some of that's going to be uh, taken off you as tax. Uh, what's good uh, to know is that you can generate about, well, you can generate 40,000 Rand a year of profit before you're going to pay capital gains tax. Uh, and, and you know, as simple as that, that is capital gains tax. The mistake that a lot of people make with capital gains is they'll say, you know, I've switched from, 
the 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 top 40 uh, exchange traded fund to the world exchange traded fund i didn't sell the money and put it in my bank you know take the or sell the etf and put the money in my bank account i just switched from one to the other you know there, surely i don't pay tax on that Unfortunately, you do because you, you've sold one investment and you've now bought another. And, and and I can't tell you how many times people get caught out with that, whether it's a unit trust, a share, or, or an exchange-traded fund. Now, the fact that they didn't sell them the investment and spend the money or put it in their bank account, they think they're they're not liable. Unfortunately, you are. And it happens every time you buy something, an asset that grows in value and you sell it, you, you're going to be liable for tax. Fortunately, the worst tax you'll pay if you're at the top tax rates, you know, is, is somewhere around, you know, 18, 19%. Uh, so it's much cheaper it's than income tax. It's still a lot of money, though. I mean, you, if, if you look at a, the growth of your investments and suddenly mm, there's tax, and I bet you that 18%, that, that real rate is going to go up in this year's budget. It's bound to because it's a wealth tax. Uh, yeah, fair, fair enough. I mean, I think, you know, the, the wealth tax is going to be painful disincentive to people to, to save and invest for the long term. So it's bad for our economy. I can't, I can't stress enough that I think it's a horrific idea. But politically, you know, it feels like we're punishing the rich, you know, and they can pay for everything. Uh, missing the point that, you know, the people that that, that are generating those, those uh, I'd, profits I'd, are I'd doing love- it because they're investing in our country. I'd love to let you rant, but we have to go. Uh, Warren Ingram, thank you very much indeed. Lots of questions answered, lots of questions asked. Emails to us, please. WhatsApps, SMSs, any way you'd like to communicate. Get your messages through and we'll try to answer your questions.